You can look around and see a lot of movies about the end times. Things looking at the apocalypse, what it would be like if the cosmic battle of good and evil brought us to such a late hour that everything seemed like it was going to be extinct. Well, there's actually a reason for this. Today we're going to be talking about the movie A Quiet Place. But before you say, hey, I don't know if I want to be in on this conversation about a movie I have or haven't seen, we're going to be doing this as a Bible study of Revelation chapter 12 because everything we do in the world around us, it's either a derivative of the fall where Adam and Eve took that first sin or it's a foreshadowing of God's moment of final judgment where we see the culmination of evil of such great magnitudes that it comes to wreak havoc on God's creation. Everything is either a reflection of Genesis or a foreshadowing of Revelation. And here in the middle, the gospel is the light. It is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus has shown us how we can take the morality of God and navigate through this time. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others with me here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And Pastor Amanda, would you open up for us in prayer today? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin this discussion, um, may it be centered on you and who you have called us to be. May we know your presence in all things and have the holy courage to enact your will and your grace in the world. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, as we said earlier today, we are going to be talking about A Quiet Place. Now, this is a movie that came out in 2018. And again, even if you haven't seen it, you're going to enjoy this conversation because one of the things which always captures our mind is this book of Revelation, this, this mysterious text which is at the end of our New Testament. Now, many times in life we think this is a dark mystery. I was there for a good portion of my life. However, within the last two years, I've come to understand that the book of Revelation is a beautiful victory. And so many of the things that we thought were not possible, that were just inexplicable, they've actually become possible in the world around us. Things like global evils, global tyrannies, a mark being placed on the whole world, all the kings of the nations coming together to assemble for a given cause. That is a wicked cause. All of these things, they are now possible. And we see this reflected in our culture around us. People are kind of obsessed with end-time events. We see television shows that, like The Walking Dead, that kind of look at an <laughs> apocalyptic situation. Well, tonight, today, we're going to be talking about A Quiet Place. And this largely is a reflection of the story in Revelation 12, where there's a mother about to have a child and the dragon, the ancient serpent. This evil, which you don't really know where it came from. You don't really know fully how it operates, but you know it's predatory. It comes not only after the mother in her moment of childbirth, but then also after her children to bring havoc on the whole earth. So as we begin, I just want to throw that proposition out there. Both Pastor Amanda and Pastor Mike have seen this movie. And we are going to read some from Revelation 12, but I just want to have your initial thoughts on connecting this movie to that biblical text. Well, you know, I think uh, one of the things that I've noticed in the movie is this evil that is attacking the family. Now, I know you mentioned the, the whole understanding of it attacking the mother who's ready to give uh, birth to the little boy, but it is an attack, I feel like, totally on the family. And so even if you look and notice those other uh, people that are encountered, there seems to be a husband and a wife or something where that where there's this attack on even that marriage, that this separation. Uh, and so, yeah, there, there is a, a lot of uh, parallels in the movie. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, I think for, well, I, I didn't even, when you asked me before we were doing our uh, show prep, and you're like, okay, what, what story in the Bible can you, can you connect the dot with to, to a quiet place? And I was trying to think of some various narratives and, and and no point would I have ever said Revelation 12 that was not on my radar at all. But after kind of looking at it and in our conversation today as we begin to explore it, I think it's going to be kind of easy to connect those dots for, for nothing else than the very obvious correlation between a woman giving birth while being hunted. Um, but yeah, there there is a, a sense of desperation and also a sense of new life that's happening in the midst of the chaos um, that, that provides us both the... Uh, the trouble in the text, as we would say in, in some of our homiletics, 
But also, even in the midst of the worst trouble, we, we begin to see also the brightest hope. Um, so it, it will be very interesting to weave these two stories together in our discussion today. You know, I think also there's this whole uh, attack on fellowship and communion that we see in this story that kind of that you see echoing out of uh, Revelation 12, where there is uh, um, evil trying to attack communication with God, fellowship with God, fellowship with our family, but fellowship with just life and world in general. And so the way it does that is by attacking the sound. And so we see through here that I think it's someplace in the the movie where they say a prayer for the uh, blessing of the food. Even though they're not speaking, they are still praying and giving thanks to God for the food that they have. And I found that very interesting that uh, as much as evil wants to attack this communication, this sound, and just devour them, anything that, that uh, makes a noise, it's right there on, yeah. that it does not stop the communication. The desire to commune is still there. And uh, they, they, uh, they're overcoming that in some, some way. It is a battle, a spiritual battle. <clears throat> yes, and so that's really where I want to start. If you haven't seen this movie, the premise of it is this. Mysterious aliens, evil has crept into the earth. And it's really not explained where they come from or what they are, but they're here and they, they're attracted to sound. They come and hunt anything that makes sound. They kill it. They're almost invincible monsters, and for all practical purposes, they are invincible. And they're after this family who live in their farmhouse. Their whole real community has been destroyed. It's just them left. And if they make any sound, then the aliens are going to come and get them. Now, this is heavily connected to the idea of spiritual warfare. And there's a couple of ways just on the front end. One, this is everybody's war. You can't escape mm. from it. No matter where you're at, no matter what your station is in life, you have to engage in this. And see, for so long, we thought of spiritual warfare being something which is kind of niche. It's for a special group of people at a certain given time, and you've got to be kind of rightly in tuned for it, and it's something that's just so unique and out there. But that's not how spiritual warfare is at all. You see, spiritual warfare is not confined to the ethereal, intangible realm. Spiritual warfare affects all of us mm -hmm. in a very material way. It starts off as something spiritual, but rest assured, it is always coming to call for your blood and to demand your life. That is something which always happens with spiritual warfare, and nobody can escape it. And this movie, it takes that. It takes this cosmic battle and condenses it down into the story about a family, and it really does that in a way that reflects Revelation 12. And, of course, it follows this, this family who is trying to, to persevere through there. But in particular, the thing I want to emphasize is the mother here. She is heavy with child. She's about to give child at any moment now. The birth pangs are there, but also she can't make any sound in doing this because the evil is coming for her. And I want to read through Revelation 12 just a little bit and break this down so we can kind of understand it. So, Revelation 12 says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Now in this movie, you see this actually happen. Of course, is it an exact interpretation of this? No, but it is reflecting it very heavily. Mm -hmm. You see this sort of great wonder happen. Now, we often hear the word wonder and we think of something really phenomenal, but a lot of times the signs and wonders, they may not be so pretty to see in real life. A lot of times people beg for them to go away. This critical moment has happened and there's a woman who's in this pain. She's ready to give birth to this child. In verse three of Revelation 12 says, and there appealed appeared another wonder in heaven where behold a great red dragon having seven horns or excuse me seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman and was ready she was ready to be delivered and he was ready to devour her child as soon as it was born now that's clearly what happens in this movie. She ultimately ends up in a bathroom where she's having to give birth by herself and trying to do that quietly. The monster is there in the house with them. It's trying to find her. It is preying on her. 
you know, a lot of times we might say this movie, it's just a scary alien movie. It's a derivative of war, the worlds, you know, the movie signs, things like that. But in truth, we're now at a time where you can visually see stories like this, which do encapsulate Revelation 12 really dynamically. If you want to see what Revelation 12 looks like, this mm. is a great movie to show you what this passage would look like practically. Now, I know kind of Amanda laughs at that a little bit, but there's a lot of truth to it. Go ahead and I'll let you just come Well, in. no, I just, when you said practically, um, there, there's a bit of this, right? And this is, this is why Revelation becomes so useful to us, but also so mysterious to us, is um, if we only take it literally, and, and what I mean by that, like when we watch a movie like A Quiet Place, and we're like, oh, that's fiction. It's not going to happen to me. Aliens aren't going to fall out of the sky and like creep around my house as I'm trying to give birth. I don't need to worry about that. And if we treat Revelation like that, then we're never going to hear what it's about to say. Yeah. And so this fictional movie does become very practical in the sense that it then tells us, all right, so maybe you might not have to worry about aliens in your lifetime. Who knows? Like, it can happen. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to take that completely off the list of possibility, but odds are. But what do you have to worry about? Sure. What are the things that are creeping around? And maybe whether you find yourself, you know, giving birth literally or not, in your world and the ways in which you are cultivating life, because um, we all are, are called to cultivate life, whether or not we, we give birth or not, um, or sire children or not, in those ways, what are the things that are coming or seeking to kill and destroy and steal that life? And and so this is this is very practical for us to see. And this is what John is doing with his congregation that he or several congregations that he's writing to and saying, okay, like, yeah, there's going to come a day of final judgment. But also right now today, what are the red dragons with the heads and the horns and the, just the utter scariness of the world? that are coming and seeking to devour as soon as you feel like you're about to give life yeah. and energy and compassion into the world what are the things that are coming to devour it and then what is the hope that we will persevere and i want to build on that just a moment for a second mm -hmm. we need to understand that there's a lot of stuff that foreshadows the events in revelation i fully believe that Revelation 22 is honest when it says, add nothing to this, take nothing away. These events, they are reliable and true. I believe that, like fully. There are times in my life where I probably didn't, but I'm there now. Mm. I've seen enough. I've matured enough. I understand. Yeah, it's real. But to Amanda's point, why we have this now, there's a reason why Jesus revealed this to us. He wanted us to take this text and say, hey, all this stuff is coming to a head. But there's going to be a lot of stuff in your life which are foreshadowing this. There are going to be those dragons in your life coming after you. And we know this happens. It happens when people are organizing their family. It happens when people are trying to get out of being addicted to something. Mm. The evil comes to seize that moment of birth. It's a microcosm for just living in the valley of the shadow of death. Pastor Mike. Well, you know, I think evil wants to shut down all goodness and, and, and doesn't want to hear of goodness. And mm. so life is good. Is good. It comes from God, and God is the life giver. And so you can see in this movie some... You know, I, I think I use the word parallels, but some analogies and some visions uh, that kind of reflect Scripture. And I think one of the most, um, you know, uh, touching moments is who in the world can can keep a baby quiet? You know yeah, what I'm oh saying? You know, the mother can to a certain degree, but when the baby's hungry, when he needs diaper change or whatever, there's going to be that form of communication, even at a infant level, that just kind of screams out to talk. And so what they have is, is and I don't want to give too many spoilers, but they build this box. Um, it, it To me, it reflects something of a casket. Mm -hmm. And they place this baby in it, and but they have that that you oxygen. Know, oxygen and a little little mask for it that they put in there to try to suppress the noise so it doesn't you know it can't be heard but they do want to continue to persevere as pastor amanda said that life happens and yeah. for me you know i think it, it goes back to the paradox that jesus says for those who will lose their life will find it mm -hmm. and and to your point there I thought when I first saw the the little basket they have, they take what looks like an old trunk or chest or something, and they make it where it can float. They use water to obscure the sound. We're going to go through the movie a little bit more here in a moment. But I thought of Moses when Moses' oh, mother yeah. puts 
him in the basket and is trusting him to God, they have to take their child and put him in this little basket that they can seal up so it's soundproof and then it's got oxygen going down there into him so he can be in there. They have thought this out. They're willing to persevere. They're not nihilistic. Mm. Another thing that you find in this movie is that the family, the family together is a tool against evil. And it's one of the most important tools against evil, if not the most important tool God has given us as far as human institutions. Um, Obviously, the Holy Spirit comes and gives us like tools and things to equip us with. But as far as human institutions, that sort of structure, it is a tool against evil. And it's one that is necessary to persevere through a moment like this. You know, I think one of the things that that also is is a reflection, and I'm getting out of Revelation 12, is where Paul, uh, you know, calls us to pray continuously. And so what is prayer? It's communion with God. And we see that there is communication happening in so many ways other than with the voice. So there's the sign language. There's also the lights they turn on and on. And they also use the waterfall. So there's all these different ways, just facial expressions and, and, you know, and, and, uh, the sign language that they communicate and for me as a christian you know prayer is more than than just actually voice and and talking to god but it's often reading the bible and listening to god sure. it's often uh, you know works of mercy and works of piety that we we communicate and and in a life of prayer so uh, i found that the, the movie was helpful in many ways Mm-hmm. All right, let me finish the Revelation 12 mm-hmm. yeah. passage, and then we'll go back, and we're going to just break down a lot of images in this movie, and I think they'll be helpful to you, even if you haven't watched it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's pick up in verse 4. Please do. And it says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God that they should be that she should be fed there for a two for a thousand two hundred and three score days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. But prevailed not, for neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast down into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So in this movie, the evil is cast out. We don't really know their origins or anything like that, but this movie is largely told, again, from the perspective of the woman in Revelation 12. She doesn't know where they come from. She just knows that they're there to come after her and her child and her posterity. So this clearly happens. Uh, Verse 10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God night and day. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. So there's this element here that even in heaven, Because all this right here, this whole victory language we find, this is from really the perspective of St. Michael in this place. This is not really what's going on in earth yet. And then the language goes on. It says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. There's urgency in how evil Mm -hmm. wants to come prey upon people. And you find that in this movie. These monsters, we don't know anything about them, really, but they're evil. They're there, just like evil is in the world before we're born. And it comes for people. Like, it is, tardiness is not a sin that the devil keeps himself. You know, he wants you to be someone who procrastinates and is tardy. He himself is not. The evil in this movie, it is not slack at all. Verse 13, it says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth water as flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman. The earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of its mouth. Again, we find here in this chapter, 
the forces of nature come to the aid, or excuse me, in this movie, the forces of nature come to the aid of the people. And then in verse 17, it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war against the remnant of her seed, that is her children, which kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In this movie, not only do you see the evil come after the mother and, of course, the father as well, but it, it really hunts the children. And that's really the theme that the second movie, A Quiet Place Part 2, mm. takes up on. Mm. All right, so any thoughts on this real quick before we start breaking down? Pastor you know, uh, many scholars will tell us that one of the characteristics of apocalyptic literature, which that's what apocalyptic means, is revelation. And so that's where it gets that the name, that this apocalyptic literature has this um, a character of retelling a story, of the, a biblical story, a narrative, and yet... Uh, we see that a lot of them point to this, you know, the child and, and, and as Mary and, and uh, Jesus being born there, and this is true. But something else is they often, uh, scholars will say that the dragon is often a reflection of Rome and the emperor and things of that nature. And Dylan, you said something uh, a few weeks ago as we were talking that for as many of our uh, classes that we took in apocalyptic literature that they were often saying that revelation reflects Rome. But really and truly, I think you come to the agreement or, or conclusion that Rome reflects revelation. In other words, this hermeneutical effect that keeps happening over and over again in the stories, it's almost like we read certain passages in the Bible and all of a sudden you say, well, this happened to the Israelites, but we see this happening today, mm -hmm. here and now. And the yeah. same thing's happening in this book of Revelation. And I think this movie, you look at it, you're able to say, yes, we can see where... Uh, the story of Jesus is here and the how the devil wanted to attack and kill the child through Herod and different ones. But we can also see where this attack on the family and everything is taking place today. And so, yeah, there, I, I, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there, that Revelation is not just reflecting Rome, but perhaps Rome is reflecting Revelation at that time in the first century. Yep. And then now we see that the world around us is reflecting yep. this Revelation and this tremendous spiritual battle that's taking place. And the birth pangs get more intense. There's a reason why oh, that language oh yeah. is done with us. All right, so let's, let's dive into the movie. And again, this is going to teach us a lot about our own culture. The movie opens up with a flashback hook that shows you that all people are involved in this cosmic battle. I mean, the whole premise of these aliens that come in and they're for everyone, that is representing, representative, if I can not mix my words, it's representative of spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. That says you are thrust into something before you even know what the details are. You don't know what the details are, but yet you're thrust into it. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that, Amanda? Well, and I think that's where also like the language of supernatural has gotten a little muddled uh, throughout the centuries and maybe it always was but it's not supernatural as in the sense of it's outside of the natural order it's maybe a little hyper natural in the sense of like you know everything is done to the 10th degree but it is very much a part of the cosmic order that the, there is nothing um, well there can be nothing outside of God and so there, there can be nothing outside of the natural order in which God has created it and so we do see um, even these, you know, aliens in this movie or the dragon in the chapter of Revelation, uh, they they aren't beyond the bounds of of what God has created. And therefore, they are also not outside the bounds of what we can handle. Uh, not that they aren't terrible and extreme, but uh, they we all, because we all are natural, are participating in this grand narrative. I like that word you had, hypernatural. In fact, I'm going to add that to my vocabulary. <laughs> and when Pastor and Mike and I have our Sunday evening program, we're going to rate that word. Okay. So I, I'm just, everybody know I'm taking that word from Amanda. <laughs> if she is willing to share it. Yeah, I'll share it. <laughs> okay. We're taking hypernatural. I like that. Um, so the first dialogue you find in the movie, because there are some language here. Again, the aliens, they detect sound. They're after the word in a way. <laughs> Interestingly, just, I know I'm being cheesy on that one, but maybe not. But the first dialogue they have is the language, he's okay. And this is something which is fascinating because all the visuals of the movie tell you, hey, they're not okay. Mm. They're, they're a lone family in a derelict town. 
They have to walk on sand on a straight, narrow pathway, by the way, in order to survive. But also, it's very obvious that the family is not okay, but yet the first dialogue in the movie is, it's okay. It's pointing towards hope. Hope amid the dark valley. You have this idea that the rod and staff of God comfort you. You know, I think one of the underlying themes is the the desire for life going on there. And, and even in the midst of all of the, the uh, battle that's going on, whether this be a reflection of spiritual battle, then there's more those more concrete things where sometimes we need to have that forgiveness. But most of all, we need that sense of being loved. And with the, the daughter and the father there, there's this, this where she doesn't feel like her... her her father loves her and has forgiven her for something that she's done in the past. And then right there, there is this moment that he says, I love you. I have always mm. loved you. And, yep. and you know, for us, there, there's a lot of times where we go through these things. And, you know, the whole understanding of salvation and the forgiveness of sins, um, we, we want to hear God say, I love you. I've always loved mm-hmm. you. And, I, I, you know, I have forgiven you. And so I think that's a very much a part of that underlying theme of life and the struggle for life that we need oxygen for life, but we need love. Mm-hmm. And, and we see that, and there's a very, um, you know, dramatic point in that movie where that is shared. Well, and I think to that, just a little bit of movie trivia, um, we're kind of going out of order of, I guess, the scenes in the movie because that takes place towards the end, but, but just some pertinent trivia. So they, they, when they originally wrote the script, the line was simply supposed to be, I love you. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be it. But then the, the actress who plays the, the oldest daughter, as she was kind of communicating with, with the, the other actors, and John Kuczynski, who plays the dad, is also the director, and he also co-wrote with some other writers the, the movie. And so as they were coming to film that scene, she said, well, we... This whole movie has been about this this struggle of this family and this family trying to come together in the midst of such darkness. And now in this final kind of climactic uh, episode that this doesn't need to be just right now he loves her. Because that, of course, he loves her in this moment. But there, this the whole the movie starts out with tragedy. Yeah, she needs to know that she was loved even in that tragic incident yeah. that we're yeah. going to talk about. And I, I think that's what. And so she she got John Krasinski to change uh, the line and, and taught him the the appropriate because the actress is 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 deaf and so she could teach them um, the sign language that was appropriate to use in the dialogue and the communication of that scene. And, and so that that something came together to meet meet some mean something so much more than just simply I love you. It was this idea of this enduring, this persevering, this faithful love, even in the midst of like just utter heartbreaking uh, guilt that the whole family was dealing with. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about what made the girl think her dad didn't love her. Mm. But before we do that. I want to point out something that you find with both the boy and the girl in this film. They're not quite teenagers. Well, they're, they're kind of teenagers. I don't know. I can't. I can't I, yeah, I'm horrible at telling you. Age, but yeah, we're going to go with like 12 to 14 ish. Yeah, we'll say they're like 12 to 14 ish. <laughs> so, the boy and girl in this film, they both obviously have some issues. They're not mature yet, they haven't really come to figure out their place in the world. But one of the things this movie does is it shows us that a child's ability to love itself is heavily shaped by how their parents love them. Mm, yeah. If the dad does not love the girl, or the girl doesn't think the dad loves her, she will not love herself. That is a theme shown over and over and over again. And also, when the dad doesn't show the young boy how to be courageous, he won't be. Mm. And the mother sits the boy down and says, I need you to go with your dad. He will take care of you. And that way you'll be able to take care of me when I'm old and I'm not able to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Like she tells the boy the cycle of life. It's kind of like out of the Lion King. Like there's this whole cycle of life. But instead of it being dramatic with colors and music and things like that, it, it's quietly in a house with sign language. And she's telling the boy, you need to go out there with your, your father and learn to be brave because you're going to have to take care of me one day. A very yeah. prophetic statement. You know, I haven't watched the second the sequel to it so I don't know but I mean uh, you know looking at what happens at the end of the movie you know it's kind of a 
a very prophetic statement, you know, that there, there is this understanding that we honor mother and father yep. and that we take care of them in their older age. Yeah, but that, again, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, a powerful time and scene in there. But and, and it's a true statement about the cycle of life. Yeah, well, and I think the thing, too, about love, right? This, this, I mean, this is, this is the gospel, right? Uh, God loved us so we could know how to love. Yeah. This is, this is, you know, I, I, sorry, language is escaping me. Um, but, right, the, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. We, the, we don't know who we are or whose we are until God has revealed God's self. Now, the good news is God has revealed God's self since the very beginning of, you know, let there be light. And there is no moment that has not been touched by the grace of God. It, there is something that says that we then know who we are and whose we are because of this great love of God. And um, it something invites us into when we don't know how to love ourselves, we don't know how to love others. And we, if we don't know how much we are loved, it, it does become detrimental to our ability to love others. Yeah. And so God's like, all right, I get your psychology. I understand what is holding you back. So I will show you the extent of my love. And of course, this is why Christ dies on the cross. Not because a, a bloodthirsty God needed to be appeased or even because a law needed to be appeased. It was because love loved us that much and needed to show us not to change God's mind about us, but that our minds could be changed about God, that we may know who God is. Yeah, and love calls us to action. And it's often that action is dangerous. Mm. It calls us to be vulnerable. It calls us to do all of these things that we kind of see uh, happening in this movie, that, that love Risk. will not be suppressed. Yeah. Evil hates love. Mm. It despises it. It wants to crush it. It wants to silence it. Yep. And yet we see this hunger for it throughout the movie. And we, you know, it, it, it's something that continues to prevail even in the midst of silence. Yep. Mm. And I mean, evil is after the children. And that's mm. where we're going to segue into a couple of other themes. When the baby is born, the evil doesn't care that it's a baby that's cooing. If it hears mm. sound, it's coming for it. And again, the devil is not slack. You know, God is not slack, as we might call it slackness. Neither is the devil. You know, he's not going to procrastinate anything. Um, the reason why the girl feels guilty and she doesn't feel that her father loves her is because early on in the, the movie, I mean, like very early on, there's another child in that family. And he dies. They're in a store together, and the little boy, he wants a toy rocket, and he kind of signs to his signal sister through sign language. He says, you know, rocket, that's how we'll get away. And he wants the rocket toy, but it's obviously a very loud toy. It, it lights up and it makes noise. And the dad takes away the, the rocket toy for being too loud. But the sister who's deaf gives it back to him. And while they're walking out on the sand, he, he gets out the rocket toy and it makes sound. And one of the monsters comes and, and takes the child and, and kills him. And there's a couple of points that I want to make about this. One, the spiritual warfare is real, real, if I can pronounce things correctly. And evil has no problem killing children. Evil is totally fine killing children. We have to understand that. And the children have to walk in the spiritual battle too. And as parents, you are given a, a huge task where you're not only leading yourself through this valley of the shadow of death, but you have to lead your children through it as well. And sometimes that looks mean, like taking the rocket away, but it's done out of a place of love. And the, the deaf girl feels responsible for her little brother's death because the, the toy is what led to his, his death. And it's a tragic scene. There's a couple of angles I want us to talk about this. Um, but before I come back to it, any, any initial thoughts on that? Just kind of the children have to be engaged oh. in the spiritual warfare? Yeah, this is, I think this is the thing also, and there's studies that recently have been done, and I don't recall them, so I can't give them the, the appropriate credit, but how trauma, they're finding that uh, neuropathways are created even in uterus in response yeah. to trauma. Yeah. So even while a mother is pregnant, she can pass on that, uh, and when I say trauma, I don't mean like necessarily physical trauma, but even emotional trauma. Yeah. The chemicals in your body are transferring to even uh, the child 
before it's born. And, and I think, I mean, we can obviously see in our world that children are not exempt. And in fact, they may get the biggest uh, portion of grief in the world. Yeah. And this, um, and a lot of times in narratives, especially movies, I don't think they know how to handle children. <laughs> um, so oftentimes, like if you watch a movie, regardless of genre, if it's horror or even a sitcom, if there's a child born in, in one episode by like the next season, they're five years old because we just have no idea how to how to handle kids. Um, and so but but there is something in that, though, in the natural inclination, I think, to say, OK, somehow everyone is a part of the story. We don't really know how or why or what, but everyone then has to respond to it. And that's like the 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 oldest, uh, the daughter, she didn't know how to handle an apocalyptic world and she didn't know how to handle a little brother who just wanted a little happiness with a toy and she tried to make it okay she took the batteries out of it so it wouldn't she thought that would be sufficient so it wouldn't make noise and it would be safe and the little brother ends up grabbing the batteries back and putting them in the little boy didn't understand he knew they had to be quiet but he still was like i don't know six or seven years old he he didn't have enough of the uh I don't know, developmental uh, awareness to understand what he needed to do. And yet, regardless of the fact that they didn't know, they still ha were in situations where they had to make choices. And I, I think when you said, like, the parents are entrusted, all of us who are responsible for other human beings, and some of, some of us are responsible as parents because we're parents, and some are responsible as ministers or pastors or teachers or medical care workers, but... Whenever we are responsible to someone, that that responsibility should never be taken lightly because uh, the 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 amount of trauma children experience and understand. And I remember this line from a different movie, and I can't remember what movie it's from, but something bad happened to a kid, and, and a parent said, "Oh, well, kids are are resilient; he'll bounce back." And the other character responded and said, "If that's true, then why are there so many screwed up adults?" Yeah, it it's. It's an well, awesome responsibility. And I well, mean awesome in the sense of just bigness, so big. Another side of that is the children want the toy to be okay, mm. but evil don't give two rips about how you want the world to be. Yeah. And we have a problem in our modern day and age where people want the world to be a certain way, and it's not. And they won't let go of their fantasy, but it's deadly to cling to a fantasy like that. And it takes a level of maturity to say we're not – permitting the fantasy. We've got to be serious about stuff. But now I want to pose another question on that. Mm. We are increasingly seeing movies, things like Doctor Sleep, mm. um, A Quiet Place. There's a whole multitude where you actually are seeing evil against children depicted in movies, like violent evil, like children being killed. You know, we just watched here at the church last night, we watched the Alfred Hitchcock movie, Rear Window. And in that, like men and women don't even sleep in the same bed. Like they're, they're described as having different bedrooms. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's still where a lot of television was when even showing people who were married, who it was perfectly, you know, acceptable. Um, yeah. is perfectly right for a man and woman to, to sleep together in the same bed. But now we've gotten to a point where evil against children is becoming pretty common in movies. And I've noticed this theme over the last 10, 10 years. And one side of me thinks, well, Yes, it's true that evil is carried out against children, but there's another part of me that, that is also very skeptical about Hollywood because I know Hollywood is not capable of telling us the truth. I mean, you just mentioned how they don't know how to treat children. They, they don't. Yeah. They're, I mean, it's not uncommon to hear stories of pedophilia and stuff coming out of Hollywood. So the fact that we're being desensitized, that violence against children is just something you see and you watch and you kind of move on with life. I don't, I don't like that. And in fact, I watched the second movie first so when I was watching the first movie and it opens up and there's more children than is in the second movie, I immediately knew that one of them is, mm -hmm. is going to pass away. And it almost made me like so upset I just turned it off. But I was like, I've heard a lot of people talk about this. I'm going <laughs> to sit through it. I didn't want to see that. And then it happens right at the beginning. It's one of the things which sets the stage. Um, but thoughts on that? I'll go to Pastor Mike. Okay. You know, back to the whole rocket thing. I think if we look to... The, the desire for humans, whether it be children, adults, or whatever, there's this, there's this theme that there's this search for perfect love, this search for, for really a, an abundant life of where you don't have to live in the fear, uh, where you don't have to live 
uh, under the attacks of evil. And so this, this rocket ship, to me, reflects so much of that desire. And so, you know, Jesus comes and gives us that understanding that there is a heaven where evil does not exist. Yeah. Uh, where that's the whole basis of the miracles of exorcism. To get evil is out of yeah. the kingdom of God. There's no place for evil in the kingdom of God. Sure. And so when we we see in this movie this desire, and there's a there's a, a scene a little later on where uh, the sister goes back to where he was, uh, I guess last seen. They have a memorial there, and she places and she cuts the sound wires puts the batteries back in the rocket and sets it there. And, uh, you know, to me, I think that's very symbolic of us uh, always wanting not not to uh, necessarily escape all of everything in this world, but we do long for a better place, a mm-hmm. better way of yeah. life. And it doesn't matter if they're children or adults. We want to be in that perfect uh, love of God. And, and you know, the only way there is through Christ Jesus. Yeah, you see that rocket, and in many ways, it's a little bit like a steeple on a church. Mm. Yeah, It is the hope that says, up there is our hope. And one of the things that really impressed me about this family is they had to watch one of their children die. And that there's that that is more evil than, than any, any monster out there. You know, we've got a picture of what the monster looks like. It's bad, but it's not as bad as the loss of a child. Mm. And this movie even shows you that. They would rather look at that monster, you know, 10, ten times out of, you know, seven, <laughs> rather than ever have to lose one of their children. But they didn't become nihilistic after that. It didn't destroy them. It, it, it did destroy them. It destroyed, really, their quality of life, but it did not, they didn't allow it to consume their soul. Mm. I guess that's the best way I should say this. You see them at dinner together praying. And even though they're not able to speak out loud in their prayers, they they hold hands, they they release their hands, and it's all done in sort of a choreographed, simultaneous moment where we're so in unison with one another, we still have that hope. And there's something really beautiful about that. You know, I think there's something also that the movie does with grief. Because anytime a parent loses a child, if you know, statistics will show that it often is, you know, married couples who've lost a child, a lot of times they'll get divorced and mm. there's other things that come in. And, and a lot of that is they blame themselves. And you see that mother wrestling with that, saying, I, I should have been carrying him. I should have, you know, I, I could have carried that and the other stuff as well. And, and uh, you, you know, you see them working through saying no. We did what all we could do. It's not your fault. And this whole healing process and grieving. And, you know, we do face a whirlwind of emotions in the midst of a death. And so I think there's an element there that they deal with grief um, and maybe not, you know, extremely efficiently, but at least they deal with it somewhat in the movie. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Well, a couple thoughts. So uh, trying to organize all of it. When you were talking about the grief and uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Dylan, you know, in Corinthians, Paul mentions in the midst of his communion texts that we often read when we are uh, uh, discussing communion, uh, or I may be putting two verses together because I I use both a 1 Corinthians and a 2 Corinthians text in my communion liturgy, but at one point it says we are struck down but not destroyed. And we carry in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made visible yeah. in our mortal flesh. And this is this is the picture of grief, right? This is human suffering. This is the what makes us human, it seems, or the common human experience is pain. And yet there is this movement even in the midst of the pain, whether we call it the valley of the shadow of death or the dark night of the soul or whatever analogies literature has given to us in the midst of all of this pain and agony, there is also this contrast that comes in, light comes in and, and breaks the darkness apart. And of course, then we can get into first John, uh, you know, light has come in the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. Most translation says has not, but really to understand that in that text, it is, it is a past and present and future verb that it's not just something that had happened you know 2000 years ago but light is in the world and darkness has not cannot and will not overcome it you were also discussing earlier and we've kind of gotten off but i did want to share a couple thoughts about hollywood and and this kind of portrayal of violence against children I, i think some of it is art imitating life right because 
trauma against children does happen and so that should be part of when we are trying to tell stories of the world and if they are true stories even if they are fictional but if they're revealing truth they're going to include trauma uh, that happens to everyone and yet at the same time switching over to a different genre uh, if you've ever read the books or seen the movies the hunger games yeah it's the main plot is about this this dystopian world that uh televises this uh gladiator games amongst children teenagers and the author wrote this book as a way of a critique against an overly violent world that's desensitizing us to violence. And yet, then they make her book into a movie and everyone's yeah. around here going, yay, violence! And she was like, wait, no, that's not, that wasn't the point of what I was trying to communicate. And, see, and that's the thing which really, there, it is true that violence is done against children, but the worry that I have is, is Hollywood is not... Prepared to deal with it. Right, right. And, and I think that's the other thing. So then also to talk about a kind of different movie aspect, there's a director who's well-known in kind of nerdum with sci-fi and fantasy movies. And he was very early on well-known as someone who wrote strong and independent and fully actualized female characters when a lot of other directors really didn't know how to handle that. And yet now it's coming out that he's just an awful human being and and we don't know to the extent of his awfulness but at the very least is very verbally abusive against women and what people are trying to handle then with that is well how can someone write characters so completely and wonderfully and yet then treat them in real life the actresses who portray these characters so horribly and one of the things that they proposed was even though he wrote all these strong female characters, he was still their creator, their their yeah. director, their their um their god. Yeah. He put himself Idolatry. Yeah, he put them himself in places of control of even of these strong characters. And I think that is right for us all to be concerned when we see these patterns. And I'm not like I think the the director and writers of this particular movie, A Quiet Place are amazing people as far as I know of them who wrote a story about family and endurance oh, and yeah, compassion yeah. but I think we all need to be concerned especially with our culture when we see these trends that seem to trivialize trauma and hurts and pains because are they trying are they trying to give us the tools to deal with it or are they trying to desensitize us see, and, and and I think yeah. I think you're right in being concerned because obviously I mean, we know from early Hollywood, the golden age of Hollywood, uh, actresses like Judy Garland and Shirley Temple were, if they didn't act right, they were put on large boxes of ice. Yeah. That uh, they were given uh, different drugs to make them hyper so they could act and, and endure long days and then given different a different kind of drug so that they can sleep at night. Yeah. Uh, obviously... And even with all the labor laws and some good steps that Hollywood has done to protect people, it's built on a foundation that values. It's framed that does upon not, mischief. Yeah, it, it does not value hu human lives. Yeah, you're right, and that's my thing. I I really think John Krasinski, who is the dad in this movie, mm. he's also Jim from The Office. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jim from The Office, who is heavily influential in this film in a multitude of ways not just acting in it but also directing it influencing the story and of course he's married to Emily Blunt um, who is the mom in this so they really did want to emphasize the family mm -hmm. and for that mo that reason alone it's amazing horror movies are one of the last places in life where actually family values are still shown in a truthful good way I do think John Krasinski had the proper motives behind yes. him. I could be wrong about that, but from all estimations, he's actually trying to show people how to handle this well. Mm. But I think Hollywood in general is desensitizing people, and I hate that I'm about to say this, to, to things like pedophilia, yeah. where they, they want you to act like it's not a big deal. And I think violence against movie, against children, especially in things like Stephen King's Dr. Sleep, which I thought was phenomenally done, but I also was like, this could easily be... Terrifying. Well, in, in real in a realistic way and this is yeah again so if, if art's imitating life we're good it, it's a it's a mirror that we hold up to ourselves and say how now then shall we respond to this but if art begins to tell if, if our lives begin to imitate art in such a way that it destroys us yeah and that's bad and, and here's the thing too everything is giving us tools Yep. Everything's trying to tell us how to handle the world. Yep. And sometimes they're good tools. And, and you know what? Even the saying goes, even a broke clock is right twice a day. 
Um, yeah, that can be, there is, again, and also knowing God's grace is everywhere and God can reveal God's self through a lot of different avenues and in ways that far move beyond our limitations. Sure. And yet there are also a thousand voices that are trying to tell us how not to deal with things in the appropriate yeah. way. And so it's, it is amazing to see a movie that is handling again a fictional and yet a true story so well yeah. but also i think your apprehension in hollywood in general is very very astute and accurate because we honestly all of us should be a little more suspicious of everything <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well there's a couple other things i want to talk about in the movie um going back to the loss of the child mm. the mother talks about her ability to still feel the child's weight in her hands because she wasn't carrying the child when she could have been. Mm. And that's the burden that she feels. She's like, my hands were free. I could have carried him. Mm -hmm. I had a backpack on. My arms were free. And she's like, I can still feel my empty arms. I was not carrying my son when I should have been. Mm. And the inescapable burden. But yet they still have hope. They're still praying to God. They still have that hope. It is Revelation 12. Woe to those on the earth during this time. Like, it's legit that. That movie... Is, is such an interpretation. And I doubt they had that in mind for the record. I, know, I doubt I John... Think, Chris, you know, I wouldn't even classify this as a Christian movie, but what yeah. we're doing is reviewing this through the the eyes of pastors, yeah. you know, with a Christian reflection and pulling that out. I don't know that it was ever had that intention from the beginning and not every, even stating that. But. Yeah, but I would say this, though. God has claim for everything in mm -hmm. the world. If God actually mm -hmm. made the heavens and the earth, people are going to naturally pick up on some of those biblical themes, even if they don't know they're doing it. And I think that's what happened here. I think they yeah. accidentally <laughs> stumbled into Revelation 12 yeah. because it is something which is so true about the human condition that you live in the valley of the shadow of death. You're a family. The mom is about to have a child and evil is not going to be slack about that at all. It's coming for you. Yeah. A couple of other things I want to talk about real quick, and we got to wrap this up. <laughs> The kids have to walk through the spiritual warfare, but yet they're still playing games. Mm. What do y'all think about that? The act that they're, the fact that there can still be some joy, there can still mm -hmm. be some some good things. Well, I think there's some structure going on there. Not only do you see them playing games um, and having accidents and things of that nature, but you also see them having a structure where their their mother is teaching them, their father is is showing them things in life and and uh, throughout. So there's this whole family structure of growing together, not just physically, but uh, in a sense of education and responsibility and maturing as people. Mm -hmm. And uh, you actually see the parents maturing as people, not oh, just yeah. the children. So, you know, I think you can pull a lot of that out of there where life is going on despite evil. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. All right, next point I wanna make, and I'll throw this to Amanda. Okay. Evil doesn't care if you're deaf or sick. One of the boys, the boy who, who lives, he is sick. The other girl's deaf. Evil doesn't care when I owed it. But also, being deaf nor being sick, that doesn't disqualify you from surviving and battling the spiritual warfare successfully. You, you actually don't need to be like this champion Olympian athlete in mm. order to succeed. Evil's coming after you either way. But also, God, you actually have the tools if you will turn to God, if you will clasp on to the aspirational things, you will survive this. What do you think about that? That on one hand, it's coming for everyone, but also everyone actually can persevere through this. Right. If they're in the well, right. and I think that's the thing is this, the story is not so much of a family dealing with uh, <laughs> insufficient uh, children uh, or, or these different difficulties. It is just simply that actually because of the daughter being deaf that they have the tools to handle it oh yeah and, and this is where and this is not belittling their their particularity but this is saying they were given a structure that then they could extrapolate into this new circumstance and evil will tell us that our our being our insufficient oh gosh words um where we seem to be weak, we can yes. see that God's strength comes through. And yeah. that's, yeah. And, and so, like, evil will say our weaknesses are our end, that this is it. You're not good enough to get God's grace. You're, you're not strong enough to be God's instrument. And instead, God's grace says, actually, those things you think are weak, if you give them to me, and when I say weaknesses, I'm not talking about sins. Yeah. 
I'm talking about the things that we don't like about ourselves. And what God says is those things you think are, are weaknesses or detriments, I'm going to actually transform them and use them yep. into doing my grace. And, and, and by no means, because the, the deaf community is very strong in saying that they do not consider being deaf a detriment. That is part of their culture and their language and their understanding of the world. So I do not want to belittle the deaf community at all. And I want to make sure I'm being careful in, in the communication of this. But for that family to experience having a daughter who is deaf, they still understand this did not make them less of a family. No. It did not make her no. less human. And instead, what the world would probably consider a deficiency, actually, by God's grace, because God had created her in God's image. Yeah, that's right. This is their Preach strength it. as a yeah, family. That's and, right. And Preach so, so this is this is the good news, and. Whatever, we, we all have things that we're like, okay, I'm not this enough. And God's like, yeah, because the story isn't about you. That's right. And yet Preach the it. story is about you because yeah. God came to save you. Yes. But God came to save all of you and that you may be empowered to participate in the salvation of others. And so this is also, of course, where the story leads with the, the oldest daughter. She finds out that her, the uh, coat, co Cochlear implant can produce a feedback that distracts the monsters enough that you can shoot through the shell that's kind of around their heads. Again, what the rest of the world said, that's not good enough, that's not strong enough. God was like not even phased with because there's something that's happening in this narrative that tells us we are more than our faults and that we can it's not about over even overcoming and again when i say faults i'm not saying sins those i'm not using those words synonymously but it's not even about overcoming our deficiencies like if you're somebody who's lost a limb it's not about god magically growing another arm on you so that you can do these things that's not that's not god turning your weaknesses into strengths what god is saying is in your particular situation with whatever you're facing it's not being zapped out into heaven. It's about enduring yeah. here and presently yeah. and using your particular situation, strengths and weaknesses and everything else that makes you you, to participate in the life of God. Amen. You preach it. We have reached the revival moment <laughs> that we hit at the end. So let's do some rapid fire through this, Amanda. Okay. Um, obviously, the family is a tool against evil. Obviously, the ch parents have to guide their children through the dark valley and the the baby even is involved in this, but there's a couple of other things in there too. The movie has, it's a, it's kind of a horror thriller movie. Mm -hmm. Some people consider it a horror movie. Some people don't. There's a nail in the staircase mm -hmm. going down and you see this in, and you know that somebody's foot is going to go, go, it's going to go through the somebody's foot. And you're like, why does that have to be there? Mm -hmm. But yet that happens in life. Just yesterday, somebody had wired up, one of the previous owners of my truck had wired up a license plate bulb and they did it kind of crudely and it shorted out and burned up the fuse box in my truck yesterday at Car uh, on Fire. Oh and you my. know, it, it very much was like the nail in the floor. Like I, I knew it was going to be a problem because I could see the wires exposed. I didn't sort it out fast enough. I thought, you know, they're hanging there. What are they going to do? <laughs> they did create a problem. But so many times in life, easily avoidable and meaningless sufferings creep in. So if you're going to tell the truth about this movie, you kind of got to have the nail. Um, pain, inevitable pain. It only takes a small mistake to set up a snare. Any thoughts on that real quick? Yeah, well, no, and that's the thing, too. We we often are more uh, apt to pay attention to the giant alien monsters consuming us if we make a sound than the nail sticking out of the board. And it yeah. is. It's inevitable, and the small does become big if it's not taken care of. Sure. And we, we have to be more aware of all those things. And some of them are going to catch us by surprise, even if we're the most vigilant uh, person. But... Uh, there is this call to participate in a little bit more understanding of those, even those small things. All right. Next thing I want to throw out there. The monster itself is just this gross, ugly, <laughs> kind of formless creature, kind of generic thing. But you know what? It's a representation of death. It's hungry. It's predatory. You might be a smart, intelligent creature, but I don't care. It's coming for you anyway. Yeah. Uh, I actually think that's fairly accurate in representing death or evil something like that because it's not it's not natural in the sense that it looks like a lot of other things in life it's ugly and 
I think the monster actually pretty well encapsulates that. You don't know where it's coming from. It's very much like the, the devil. It's just come from the sky and it's there to bring destruction. What do you think about that? Pastor Mike? I, I think obviously this is a fallen creature regardless of where it comes from because it does have faults and it does have weaknesses and you know the the uh, feedback or whatever that happens that it can't stand it can't swim so there's lots of things that we see that this is not a god this is a fallen creature right, and we god. should always remember that in our our spiritual warfare that even though we may be falling uh, that satan and his demons are fallen creatures um, they are not god and though even though it is a spiritual warfare and battle that's going on it's important for us to realize that the spiritual warfare goes on constantly uh, in this world we see that in in the movie and I think you know a lot of times we talk about spiritual warfare and things of that nature and we almost pose it like it's entering into a boxing ring that it happens at a certain time and a place and it don't happen constantly I think one of the things that the the, the movie does well is that it places evil as a constant battle going yep. on and uh, there's never a moment where uh, that it's not after you at some place or time mm. last thought here <laughs> when the question asked between the parents the mother says who are we if we can't protect them mm. about the children and if you don't want a spoiler for the end of the movie you probably had already left, but now's your, your final warning. The movie ends basically with John fifteen thirteen. No greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Hmm. Now, in this movie, it's the case of the father laying down his life for his children. The evil that came when his wife was giving birth, they're not able to get rid of that, that, that collection of monsters fast enough. Hmm. His children get separated. He goes out to try to save the, the boy and girl that are older, obviously not the newborn, the newborn's with the mother. And the only way that he can get his children to live is if he makes a sound and draws the monster to him. And that'll give his children an opportunity to escape. The movie shows you the cost. If you really want to be someone who reflects Jesus in the salvific way, again, the we're cost. not able to afford yeah. salvation for others, but if you want to truly bless people, if you want to do that, you have to be willing. You have to understand spiritual warfare doesn't sit over there in the closet. It's not over there with the mystics who open up their special books. It comes for you. It calls for your blood. It mm. demands for your body, for your life. And if you want to give hope to people, and again, you're not giving them a guarantee. You're not giving them a warranty. You don't know what the day is going to be like tomorrow for your children but you have to be willing to lay down your life for that so well, final thoughts on that john 15 13 is shown in the end of the movie and it's beautiful yeah i think the the famous saying the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church and we see that life goes on when sacrifice takes place and none other do we see that more powerful than the cross and the empty tomb of christ jesus yeah. amen well and i i think well jesus told his disciples you will do greater things than than these and he's talking about what he's done Right? He tells his disciples, you're going to go out into the world and you're going to do greater things. He also tells his disciples, they killed the prophets. They're going to kill me. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> What's in your future? Three guesses. Um, and I think this is the other thing, and, and this has prevailed in our culture in such a terrible way, but this um, prosperity gospel that keeps telling us, and I have heard it from the lips of people not in my current congregation i'm not going to sell them out like that but in other congregations that i have participated in well jesus would never let that happen to me jesus wouldn't let bad things happen to me god wouldn't let you know and they'll throw out jeremiah 29 11 or uh the one in romans where no temptation has uh will be given to you that uh oh gosh my brain's not working sorry but you know nothing can be more than you can handle and that's really not the point of that verse anyways it's specific to temptation not just general suffering experiences but anyhow we we throw out those verses and you're like okay you do understand they kill jesus yeah like you do understand that all of the disciples experience martyrdom even though john survived his he then died being exiled on an island like do you really think you're better than Jesus, like, and, and, and listen, odds are not all of us probably, I mean, the three of us sitting here in the room, we will probably die 
very old and hopefully very happy. But the call of Christ, whether it is to die literally with a sword to our necks or figuratively, which is also very literally, dying to self every day, this is the call of Christ. And if at any point we begin believing in a different gospel than that, then it's not the one we were given. That's right. And I think we need to start thinking very seriously about that because, you know, we talk about evil against children and Jesus telling them, you know, you'll do greater things even than these. It's not long after Jesus ascends into heaven that you are seeing children martyred. You're seeing little girls that say, we're, we're chased for Jesus. And Rome says, oh, no, you're not. You're going to go to this house of prostitution. And they say, no, we're, we're here for our Lord. And they end up being killed in public heinously. And others see that happen. Others see children being killed, little girls, you know, 11, 12 years old, and they come to the church in droves. The faith, the testimony of children who don't really fully understand, they're not arguing the, the intricate doctrines of entire sanctification. They're not out doing all this stuff. They're like 11, 12 years old. Some of these people like St. Foy, St. Agnes, a lot of these little girls, um, St. Faith. And yet they did understand the call of Jesus. And they testified to that to a level that people could not deny. Mm. Like anybody that had any reasoning left in their mind would look at that and say, no, their, their testimony is, is so true. It's so sincere that it's, it's, you can't just dismiss it. Mm. All right. Well, there's our, our final thoughts for you. A quiet place. If you want to see a very practical application, and I think this happened by accident. I don't think they meant this. Of Revelation 12, the battle between the mother and the dragon after her child, watch A Quiet Place and be prepared. It's it's a moving movie. Mm. It's a peculiar movie in the sense that it's quiet. Um, sound is used strangely in it. The soundtrack you've heard throughout this today is actually from the X-Files, I think season two. <laughs> There's not really a soundtrack to A Quiet Place, so I had to pull something from somewhere else. Um, obviously, that music doesn't belong to us. Though it is slowed down to get us through the algorithms. <laughs> there you go. Um, we're, I, I do highly encourage people to watch A Quiet Place. I thought it was not a movie I would enjoy. I witnessed all the second one. I, I loved every minute of it. I started watching the first one. I knew that the child would die and it broke my heart. It just mm. crushed me. But I persevered through it. And now that I'm at the tail end of it, it, it is a movie that is very moving. And it shows you so much about the world around us. It takes Revelation 12, a story which seems so mystical, and it gives it to us in a way that we can really understand. Mm -hmm. Pastor Mike, would you close for us in prayer? Absolutely. Almighty God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to reflect on not just movies, but life in general that is happening all around us. And most of all, we thank you for the scripture that we can uh, read and apply to that life that is not only uh, all around us, but those whom we love so much. So help us, dear Lord. I pray for each and every one who is watching and streaming, Lord, that they find uh, some hope uh, in this conversation that uh, they too will find that Jesus died on the cross and sacrificed so that they may find life and life abundantly and the hope that comes. Help us, dear Lord, to remain faithful and true to your word and to your calling. And we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.